Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Michigan State's football season went from bad to worse last weekend as it suffered one of its worst losses to Michigan in the long history of the rivalry. There's not much else to say other than it was a good old-fashioned butt-kicking, so we won't waste our breath. If you want reaction to the game, I recommend listening to MLive's Wolverine Confidential Podcast because on episode 125 of MLive's Spartan Confidential Podcast, we're looking to the future. Brandon Champion, Kyle Austin, and Matt Wenzel with you on Tuesday, October 24th, 2023. And as I said, there's not a whole lot to say about Michigan State football and its season at this point. Uh, I mean, it's it's been an unmitigated disaster on and off the field. And quite frankly, there's not much intrigue at this point. So there is, however, you know, interest in the future of the program. So that's where we're going to focus our attention today by running through some potential candidates who might lead the football program out of this mess Uh, We thought it might be fun to do it in sort of a draft format, just because that seems fun. Uh, We'll also briefly talk MSU basketball before we do a full preview next week with the season on the horizon. Uh, Matt, I'm sure you're not like heartbroken to not have to find more adjectives to describe this season. Yeah, I kind of run out of those. Um, You know, Saturday was just a complete beatdown, as everybody saw. You know, that's two top 10 teams I've faced this year, and the results uh, were pretty similar. So, uh, completely overmatched talent, execution, everything. So um, moving on, you know, they've still got three games left on the schedule that look like they can be winnable, but um, looks like a second straight year and three and four without a bowl game. Yeah, and that's just unacceptable from a, from a from Michigan State program standpoint. It's not hard to win six games in this day and age with some of the, the cream puff games you got, and especially in the Big Ten. It's just – it's not going to cut it, and honestly, we just don't know what else to say besides it's been a disaster. So I, I do have one one splash of good news before we move on to coaches. I mean, that's rock bottom, right? I mean, that has to be utter rock bottom. Losing 49 nothing at home to Michigan um, under an interim head coach because of a sexual harassment uh, allegation and while you apologize for putting a Hitler on your on your video board. Um, I if that's not rock bottom, then God bless us all uh, finding out what it is. So uh, it's all up from here, I think. <laughs> we can only hope, Kyle. I mean, with the news cycle <laughs> these days, you just never know what's going to happen, you know, day in and day out in college sports. So uh, especially in the Big Ten, man, this year in the Big Ten has been chaotic. So uh, keeps guys like you on your toes, that's for sure. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> like we said, we haven't really touched on uh, Michigan State's coaching vacancy. It, it wasn't officially vacant for a while as Mel Tucker's job status was kind of in limbo there. And obviously it's been a hot commodity on the interwebs and 
radio and wherever you want to talk about it. You know, Michigan State is a, you know, I would say top 25, 30 job nationally, even with the turmoil. There's a lot of resources, a lot of money uh, that can be had. And, you know, they just completed, you know, a huge renovation of the Tom Izzo football building. So there's there's things to like about Michigan State's coaching search. So I guess before we get into kind of running down candidates here, Matt, how do you view Michigan State as a job in the national landscape? I mean, it's a, it's a good job. You have resources, you have facilities, you have donors, you have money. You also have, uh, now we're not supposed to swear on this. So um, you, you have the mess that you would step into if whoever is the next head coach, you have a school with an interim president. You have a board of trustees that is a constant disaster um, in fighting and, and and the the board has to approve the football coach, so and the president. So that's yeah. I mean, when you when you're when your football coach is fired for cause with eighty almost eighty million dollars on the line, and at the same time you're looking for a president, and at the same time one of the trustees is asking for the board chair to get removed. I yeah, that's a that's a complicated process. So obviously the football coach would like to know who the president is and the president would prefer, you know, they, they would like to know the situation they're stepping into. And that's, that's going to be a tricky needle to thread for them given the timeline. Cause really in about a little more than a month from now, they should have a coach in place. They, they need to have a coach in place in a little more than a month. So, I mean, yeah, there, there are things to like about the job, but there's also a lot of baggage that comes with it. I think a lot of that's like fixable though. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, I mean, they have things that other schools are just never going to get, you know, as far as the budget, not never going to get, but a lot harder to get. It's a lot harder to get the football budget that they have. Um, you know, that they have a recent history of winning. So um, I agree. You need a candidate that's willing to look past um, some things, but um, uh, you get the right people in place and, and there's no reason to think that you can't get this back to the level that Mark D'Antonio had it at. That was a pretty high level. Yeah, I mean, it's been obviously rocky lately, but, you know, you look the last decade, they have, you know, what, two Big Ten titles and one, two, what, five, four, five New Year's Six Bowl appearances. So, I mean, it's not that far gone. And you've seen how quickly things can change these days, you know, with the obviously with the portal and obviously, you know, with the unlimited remake of the roster, you know, things turn can turn real quickly. They did at Michigan State. Uh, a couple of years ago, and then they, they turned turn back the other direction. So um, there's no reason to think this program is going to be in the dumps for the next five years. You have the ability there to to make things happen with the money and the facilities, and you just got to get the right person in place to lead it all. Yeah. And in other words, you got to get your house in order before you invite guests to dinner. You know, like <laughs> you want to uh, you want to figure out internally there what's going on, because that's going to help you attract better candidates. And we mentioned, you know, when Michigan State uh fired Mel Tucker or at least suspended him, you know, maybe the one positive was that, you know, they could get to the top of the list, right? They can be first in line for candidates that are potentially, you know, out there. They can get the process going on during the season. And then, you know, when the season ends, potentially be right there front of the line to jump on their guy. So, uh, you know, we'll see if that's happening. I'm sure they're doing uh, work behind the scenes right now, but uh, there's internal stuff that is kind of distracting at a time period when you would hope Michigan State would try to be united to bring the football program back to where it is. And that's just not the case right now. So that's a little disappointing to see. The, the one other thing I'd add in there is the NIL picture, um, which is a little bit murkier, but I, I think the SD4L um, collective 
um, cutting a bunch of football contracts. Uh, what was it a couple of weeks ago? Um, I, I think you, I think by the time you're really seriously sitting down and interviewing serious candidates, you need to be able to show them things and say, Hey, we've got a competitive NIL situation here. Um, and whether we know that publicly or not, um, like, like if I'm Alan Haller, um, that's a priority of mine to be able, cause I think that's something candidates, serious candidates are going to want to know what's your NIL situation. And I think you need to be able to say, we've got our house in order from an NIL standpoint. So you're inviting people over for dinner now, Kyle? House in order. <laughs> I've got a pot roast cooking. So Ooh, I'll swing through. I'll swing through. <laughs> uh, but anyways, you know, like I said, now we're going to move ahead. We're going to just throw some names out there. You know, I don't think any of these are like, uh, you know, official like sources that we've heard. Like it's these are guys who are going to be. It's just kind of guys that you look around, they make sense. Or maybe someone around the university has voted the name or, you know, they ha- they're obviously going to want to have strong regional ties. There may be some big 10 experience. I think a younger coach should be a priority, but we'll see how all three of us are thinking here. We're just going to go around draft style and each throw out three candidates. Uh, we haven't discussed these uh, beforehand, so I'm sure we have some of the same guys on our list, but Matt, you're the football beat reporter. So I'll give you the first pick here. Who, who would you be chasing at the top of your list? If you were Alan Haller? Uh, you know, I'm going to go with an obvious one. It'd be Mike Elko at Duke. Um, he's done a tremendous job in a quick amount of time. You know, he inherited a, you know, it's a basketball school, right? Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, he took over a program that had, uh, you know, history of losing, three straight losing seasons. And uh, he takes them nine and four last year. They're five and two now, ranked. You know, they beat Clemson open the season. Uh, tough loss to Notre Dame, and they had Florida State right there before last week, uh, before the Seminoles pulled away. So you like it's a it's a smaller body of work as a head coach because this is his first time in a top spot, but it's a quick turnaround. Um, he would fall under a youngerish kind of guy, you know, mid forties. Uh, and his background, I mean, he's been in the East, he's been in the South, he's been in the Midwest. You know, he was. Prior to taking over Duke, he was Texas A&M's defensive coordinator. Before that, Notre Dame's D.C. Before that, Wake Forest. And then before that, Bowling Green and and down the line. So you've got some experience recruiting different areas of the country. And, you know, it's a hot name. So I I don't know. You know, this is a big question. It would be, you know, well, one, you know, you don't. What are they going to be able to offer and what's the competition? Is Texas A&M going to, you know, pay the 77 million to give get Jimbo the hell out of there and bring and try to bring Elko back? Uh, I don't know that that's a bidding war Michigan State wants to be in. So we'll see. But that's uh, just one guy for, for me to throw out there. But that is a, actually a good point you make is that like right now, Michigan State, well, it's probably the best job available. But that doesn't mean that mm-hmm. more jobs aren't going to become available. You know, so like it's it, it does kind of depend like which coaches move out of the cycle and get into this, you know, because, yeah, if Texas A&M is a player, you know, you know, they're willing to throw big money around, you know. So part of it does depend which jobs become open, which is all kind of speculative at this point. Among the Big Ten jobs, I would say Michigan State is a more attractive job than Northwestern. Hey, man, don't don't sleep on Indiana. <laughs> well, that's not technically open yet. It's going to it's going to be open. <laughs> yeah. You want me to go or you want to go, Kyle? Uh, I'm going to go because I think I'm going to steal yours. Uh, um, do not steal mine. <laughs> uh, I am going to <laughs> – I'm going to go with Charles Huff. Did I steal yours? You did not. Okay, there we go. Uh, well, you said you, you said you want somebody young. Um, he is on the younger side. Um, and um, 
he's the head coach at Marshall, for those who don't know, in his second season, um, or in his third season, I should say. He had two full seasons. Uh, went 9-4 and four last year, including a, a very notable win over Notre Dame, um, and he beat NC State. Uh, he looked better a couple of weeks ago. They started out 4-0. and Now they're 4-3, and three, so maybe he's moving a little bit in the wrong direction. But um, before he was at Marshall, um, had a long career as an assistant. And, you know, from what I read and my understanding is he was really – like a really high level recruiter um, at a lot of these places. And he was really known at um, big schools. He was at Alabama. He was at Penn state. He was at Mississippi state. He was known as the guy who was reeling in the big fish and getting the big names. Um, uh, best known, I think at uh, Penn state for, uh, for recruiting Saquon Barkley. And then he was his position coach as a running backs coach. So played a big hand in um, his success there. Um, and he's been in Alabama and anybody who's been with Nick Saban, I think, uh, is going to be desirable. So I think, I think you look at what Michigan state needs. I think a guy who can really bring in high level talent. Um, I think that's gotta be attractive, um, to them, whether that's recruiting or in the portal. Um, and he's, I mean, he hasn't blown the doors off as a head coach, but he's been solid as a head coach. I mean, Marshall is not a place that, you know, you're going to walk into um, and win. I mean, it's a good, uh, mid-level job, but he's done well there. Nine, nine wins last year. Um, so not a huge body of work, but um, he's been around the area. Um, he's he's been at big level programs, um, and you know I think he'd be a, a pretty good option. Yeah, it's just this is a big jump from Marshall to to the Big Ten. You know, it's uh, I mean, Mar- and Marshall was dominant. You know, when they were in the MAC, but they've floated around different conferences. You know, they pop up every few years as as a dangerous mid major. So yeah, I mean, I've seen his name floated a lot. I'm just going to throw a name out there that I don't know how realistic it is, but I think Jonathan Smith from Oregon State is someone you at least have to make say no. I mean, the, with all the troubles in the Pac-12, uh, you know, maybe moving to the Mountain West or floating around conference lists, uh, you know, I, I know that he just got a, a raise. I think he's making just shy of $5 million, so a decent amount, but still mid-tier in the at least what used to be the Pac-12. I mean, you win 10 games at Oregon State. Uh, I mean, that's impressive to me. That's instantly going to put me on the radar. Uh, you know, he's turned DJ Uyunglele into, he looks like a different quarterback this year. He's an offensive mind. He's 44. Uh, the only issue, you know, Oregon State is his home. You know, he, he went to Oregon State, played quarterback there. He's paid pretty handsomely. He's beloved there. So I think it would take a pretty um, substantial contract to lure him away. But I just think the the outside factors of what's going on, could make it a possibility, although, you know, you might have to pay the tax to get him away from home. My, my only hesitation with him is that all of his experience is in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and I don't know sometimes the cross country move doesn't really work out. Um, but, you know, he's, he's definitely a good coach. I, I would just wonder about him moving to a totally different region. Yeah, that would go away from the, you know, Big Ten roots sort of argument. But, hey, you know, I, I don't know. If you're a good coach, you're a good coach, I guess, is the way I'd look at it. So, Matt, we can go back to you. We don't need to do snake order. Give us another one. Uh, Dan Campbell? Um, no. Uh, <laughs> Bill Belichick? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to the Midwest with one that uh, name that was floated around the last time. Uh, Jason Candle at, at um, Toledo. Been there for, what, nine nine years. He's been to, I think, six or seven bowl games. He's never had a losing season. And I, I don't know, I, I, you know, he's he's done good things there. I don't think this would be a hire that would be splashy for the fan base to embrace. Um, but, you know, Midwest guy, Ohio guy. So, you know, there's something there. And, and you know, if you can recruit Ohio, you, you can do some good things. So I'll just uh, put that one out there. I guess I'm just surprised he's like, why has he been at Toledo so long? 
You know, like, because he's had success. I mean, Toledo's been one of the best math programs forever. So I'm just like, why Why has Chris Creighton been in there at Eastern forever? Well, I think that's a little different, you know. Success at Eastern is six and six, you know. He also had success at the beginning, and then he didn't have success for a while, and now he's having success again. Yeah. He, he had a couple of rough seasons in the middle there. I just, you know, again, offensive mind, though. I think that, you know, I – is Huff offensive or is he defensive, Kyle? I wasn't. Uh, he can he can offensive back. He was a running backs coach for a long time. I think we're both all kind of leaning into the more. I mean, we've seen Michigan State's offense struggle, you yeah. know, at times lately. It's, you know, so uh, go ahead, Kyle. You got another one? Yeah, um, maybe a bit of a stretch, uh, but I'm going to throw uh, Mark Stoops out there. Um, I, I think a lot of people think every year that um, he's gettable. Um, you'd have to make a pretty big offer to move a sitting SEC coach, but um, Michigan State just was paying their coach $9.5 million. I mean, I think they can take a big swing there if they think they can pry him. Um, uh, you know, I, I think there's a I think there's a notion out there that he's kind of reached the ceiling at Kentucky, you know, and that um, he doesn't have a whole lot more to accomplish there. And maybe he'd be ready for um, a new um, a new job. So if that's the case, um, obviously, he's done very well at a place where I think it's hard to win in the SEC, a place that is a basketball school, does not have a lot of football tradition. Um, I I think he would get Michigan State back to recruiting Ohio very, very well and building a team like that. Um uh, I, they have recruited Ohio very well and, and won actually a lot of head-to-head um, recruiting battles against Michigan State since he's been there. Uh, uh, won at a high level, won a lot of difficult games, beating some big teams. So um, you talked about taking like a big swing with Jonathan Smith. Like if I'm taking a big swing, um, I'm probably looking at Mark Stoops. A little bit older. I mean, maybe not younger and exciting, but um, a, a guy that for a long period of time has won at Kentucky certainly has my attention. I can't believe he's been there since 13, man. Time just flies, but, you know, seven straight bowl games. He's won 10 games twice, won the Citrus Bowl twice. I don't know how you go much higher. No, and he's 56, I'm seeing now. So, I mean, if you want someone younger, maybe you sit him out. But, um, man, I'm certainly kicking the tires if I'm if I'm Alan Haller. Well, speaking of younger and Ohio, uh, you know, Brian Hartline, if you just want to take, like, a complete shot at, like, a younger guy that, you know, really jump into this trend of even in the NFL of – going towards younger coaches. I mean, we know what he can do in recruiting. Uh, He's brought elite receiver after elite receiver to Ohio State. He's gotten huge raises there because, you know, Ryan Day, I think, knows what he has in him as a coach and a recruiter. Uh, But, you know, Big Ten guy uh, would be well-respected, would be able to seemingly relate to kids. Um, And, you know, it might be tough to pry a Buckeye away to come, you know, coach in the same conference against a, you know, sort of pseudo rival. But, uh, you know, it'd be hard to turn down some big money if you're if you're if you're looking to uh, make a move. If you're Heartline, you know, a little young, lacking experience, maybe. But uh, if you're looking for a hire that I think would at least get people excited and we would be able to recruit, it would be Brian Heartline. I guess the bigger question would be like, is he old enough? Does he have enough experience to kind of run the entire ship? I think that would be the biggest question for me with him. Here's here's my case for Brian Hartline. I, I took some notes because I was going. I thought I could get him in the third round, but apparently I couldn't. <laughs> um, uh, a lot of the coordinators at like very high level schools have gone on and been very good head coaches, like at major programs. You know, you look at Kirby Smart, Dan Lanning, Ryan Day, Brent Venables. None of them have been head coaches before, and they're all leading top ten programs right now. Um, but they were all coordinators at, you know, Clemson, Ohio state, um, Alabama. Um, so 
I think it it would be worth a swing. I mean, maybe you need a strikeout on a guy before you get to Brian Hartline, but I think that's a pretty good track record of if you if you coordinate and you do well um, at a really big program like that. I think that's a pretty decent track record of going on to success as a head coach. Give us your last one, Matt. Well, I Brian Hartline was one of mine as well. So um, I'll I'll stay in the Big Ten though. How about that? Um, it'll be my first Big Ten pick. Uh, how about Jim Leonard is just a wild card, you know? I I, <laughs> I thought you were going elsewhere with that. <laughs> no, uh, I just it's I don't know. I'm just throwing out a name. This would be a you know defensive guy. I'm surprised. You know, I you thought at this time last year he was going to be Wisconsin sex head coach. You know, he's. He's been there. He's done a really. He had done a really good job. He takes over when Chris Puckers gets fired, and then um, you know they sweep in and grab uh, Luke Fickle. So he's uh, now a, an analyst at Illinois, which is interesting. But younger guy, and you know, I don't know, just Midwest ties. He knows, you know, he knows how to. He knows defense. So they're just throwing another name out there. I'm pretty surprised he hasn't, because I thought he was on the fast track to being. A head coach there. He was like the hottest assistant in football for a while there. And I don't know what happened. Maybe it was Wisconsin's, you know, down seasons, a couple years or whatever. But he people have seemed to have cooled on him. You know, he's he's an analyst for crying out loud. So I think that's a decent sneaky name that, you know, maybe if they like what they see and they want to go defensively. Uh, Jim Leonard. He was also on my list. Uh, who you got, Kyle? All right, I'm going to go with a guy who I know would not be popular, but uh, we're on pick eight here, and I think you could do worse. Um, Pat Narduzzi. There he is. Um, <laughs> he was going to make an appearance. Um, listen, I get he's not having a good year this year, but in eight full seasons at Pitt, he's won eight games five different times. And I, I think he's got a pretty decent floor there. And like, I don't know, the Michigan State fans I talk to, the reasonable ones at least, they tell me, hey, if we can win like eight or nine games most seasons and rise up every few years and be competitive with the top, you know, that's what we want. And I, I think – Pat would have a good chance of getting you there. You know, I like he's not some young diamond in the rough guy who's going to come blow the doors off, but I think he could get you um, back to um, back to being bowl eligible every year and um, getting to that eight win threshold consistently. Um, certainly, Matt, you talk about all the dysfunction here. I mean, he he knows the deal here. Uh, he would know the landscape. He would know what's going on. He would know how to recruit. So um, again, not a super sexy pick, but I think. I think Michigan State could become a better, more consistent program if he was that coach. Yeah, I, I I would agree. He wouldn't. I think a good portion of the fan base would not like that call. But I think, like you said, he knows Michigan State, and he would bring stability. I think mm-hmm. you would. I don't think you'd see the wild swings so mm-hmm. much. Um, but you know, also interesting, Pat. Well, are we going to talk about the Peach Bowl? Yeah. What do we? Come on. Some shots. At his former employer. Multiple times. Uh, so. Again, he might not have interest too. For all yeah, while. yeah, and who knows? He, you know, he he's, might be comfortable at Pitt. You know, he's got a good big gig there, and yeah, I think a lot of people like lost Pat Narduzzi with the Peach Bowl comments and just kind of seemingly taking shots for no apparent reason. So I, I think he lost, and I just wonder. It seems like there's a ceiling with Pat Narduzzi. You know, you, you like you guys said, stability would be there, or maybe there's a ceiling with Pitt. I don't know. Well, there is. There is, you know, this isn't 1985, yeah. you know, the, <laughs> Tony Dorsett's not coming through that door, but it's like, I just think that, you know, I don't know if he's the guy who's going to like take Michigan state to the next step. If that step is there for Michigan state. I totally agree. I'm saying with the eighth pick, if you strike out on a bunch of guys and he's sitting there and wants it, you yeah. know, who knows? 
Well, let's keep with the, uh, I guess for my last pick, I'll just keep with the theme of, of football coaches at basketball schools who are doing better than anyone thought they would. And <laughs> so with Lance Leipold at Kansas, you know, the guy won nonstop at, uh, I think it was Wisconsin Whitewater in D3. And, uh, you know, he's just been, he's done things at Kansas that, I didn't think you could do, which is like win six, seven, eight games. And, you know, I know Wisconsin and Nebraska both took a look at him last year. And, you know, this is the second year in a row where Kansas is, I guess, relevant in the Big Ten space. And, you know, they're playing big game Saturday against Oklahoma this week, which you know, I don't think it's going to be a particularly close game, but it's at least a competent football program now. And that success at the D3 level in the Midwest is what kind of make intrigues me about Lance Leipold because, if you can get kids to buy in and, and play at a high level at Kansas, I mean, you should be able to do it at Michigan State. Yeah, I mean, he, that's obviously a name that's that's is interesting. There were two guys, two coaches from Kansas that were being floated as potential replacements at Michigan State, which is uh, interesting. But uh, one of them already said he's not interested. So, yeah, I mean, it's you know, he, he has a winning track record, and and winning at Kansas is obviously tough and a quick turnaround there. So. There's a lot to like there, but, uh, you know, not one of the younger candidates, but whatever. No, to be fair, what coach is going to go out there in the middle of their season and say, oh, yeah, I'd take that job. Yeah, of you course. Know? So of like, course I, I, Chris Kleiman is who you're talking about at Kansas State, and I would expect him to say that, you know. I do like guys that have won big, like at lower levels. Like, I think if you can win that many games anywhere, like you're a pretty darn good football coach. Mm -hmm. I mean, so just real quick, what are, you know, some other names that I've seen floated out there, you know, PJ Fleck in Minnesota, none of us mentioned him. I don't think that would be a popular hire, uh, you know, had success at Western Michigan in the state. So, uh, you know, I think most would consider Michigan state an upgrade over Minnesota as a job, especially with divisions going away and that not really mattering. Um, and uh, that's it, right? There's been no one else floated. Right? <laughs> I mean, we got it. We got to talk about the, uh, as Tom as you would say, the white elephant in the room, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Well, why, why, why don't you do that, man? <laughs> that, would, that would be Urban Meyer, obviously, is a uh, name that has been floated uh, heavily by the fan base and some others. Um, look, Urban <laughs> has, uh, you know, he's won three national championships, you know, was successful at Florida, at, you know, Bowling Green or Utah, Florida State, or I'm sorry, Florida, Ohio State. That's all fine and dandy. At this point in time, you got to think Michigan State wants some sort of squeaky clean type of hire. Urban Meyer would come with the most amount of baggage possible. And he would require, I don't know, maybe the highest paid coach in the country and with all that baggage. I just, look, I, I get it. If you're, if you got big money people trying to push him, okay, whatever. But, oh. I, I just think that college football has passed Urban Meyer by, and I think he knows it. I think he knows that. He hasn't done it in the portal area. He hasn't done it in the NIL era. His recent comments saying he, you know, he was basically had closed the door on on coaching again. He specifically mentioned those kind of things and and how you'd be, you know, players with agents and how he's not interested. Um, so all the baggage aside, there is the on-field stuff with the game changing and I just don't see it. I, it just seems like. Well, what do you think about this narrative that, you know, certain people are pushing that, you know, Michigan State can't win in the media anyways. Michigan State's always going to be trashed on and dumped on and be secondhand citizen regardless. So you might as well just take the guy that can maybe win and cause up some excitement. I mean, do you think there's anything to that? Because I, I don't really know. Like, I've thought about it. 
I've thought about it. And it's not about winning in the media. It's just about like not putting up with misconduct, you know, and you just had a coach um, allegedly um, commit some pretty serious misconduct. And if you're serious about um, having values and upholding them, I I don't think you can hire the guy that has had serious misconduct issues at his last two, um, his last two stops. I mean, the number of guys that got in trouble at Florida and weren't seriously punished and um, him, um, I'm trying to think of the way to put this fairly. He had a um, he had an assistant with some very serious allegations against him at Ohio State, and I think a lot of people say didn't punish him adequately and let it keep going. So um, I, I don't think you can go from what just happened with Mel Tucker um, and bring in um, Urban Meyer and say that we're serious about having a clean program and doing things the right way. The stories that came out of Jacksonville weren't great either, you know. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I do think practically, like you guys said, I think every coach has an expiration date. And, and I've had some people I respect disagree with me vehemently on this, but I think there's a good, very good chance that Urban Meyer is past his. So there's just some coaching candidates, you know, uh, who knows? They could hire someone completely out of left field. Who knows? Maybe, you know, you think they maybe would want a sitting head coach, but, you know, some of these younger guys... Potentially, I think uh, if you're trying to maybe look to get someone to build for the future, that can create some excitement and relate to young players. Some of those options might work as well. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, you would think they'd be looking to hire, though, you know, what, about a month, right, Matt, at the end of the season? Yeah, you you need, you know, the last game's in a little about, about a month, just, you know, Black Friday. So you need a coach in place sometime right around there to early December because the early signing period is I, I think December 19th it starts, if I remember that right. You need to have somebody in place to salvage what you can of your of this recruiting class. You know, if if you can make a splashy hire or a good it doesn't matter if it's splashy, if you can hire somebody that can have that last few weeks to recruit and sell their vision for the program, because I, I, you know, people think, well, you know, the portal and everything, and you can change it around quickly, and you can, but you know, this is still a recruiting class and that is important. You need to build from within. And Michigan State has not been doing a great job of that recently. Mm-hmm. With the turnover, Mel relied too heavily on the portal. So salvage what you can of this recruiting class. And and then also you're going to need this the new coach to to keep the players that he wants to keep. Yeah. And, and that's an important part of the process. Uh, you know, just throw it out there. But Simeon Barrow and, and Keyshawn Blackstock are the latest two Michigan State players in the portal. So and, and the window's closing soon uh, this week, so but it'll open again, you know, in December. So I'm sure you'll see more guys go in the portal, and then you're going to want a coach in place to be able to say, you know, this is this is what we got. And that, you know, we talked to the two young quarterbacks today, and they basically said, you know, not thinking about the future, but you know, damn well, when the season ends, you know, they they're going to have a choice to make. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, yeah, but they need a coach. Yeah, it, it, they need it timely, and, and obviously the last time around. Uh, wasn't their fault. Mark stepped down, uh, retired at a, at a poor time in February, but they should have somebody in place quickly. Because you want to keep, you know, the quarterbacks, Jordan Hall, Chance Rucker, you know, some of these young guys that you would like to keep around and continue to be, you know, stalwarts in your program. Kyle, we're running long, but just real quick, uh, Jackson Kohler hurt his foot, going to be out for a little bit. And you saw the scrimmage, uh, on Saturday, I'm assuming. Just give us a few quick takeaways on that. We're going to do a whole big basketball preview next week. So, uh, 
Yes, we are. We're recording on Tuesday, so we're less than two weeks away from basketball season. Uh, yeah, um, Jackson Kohler has what uh, has unfortunately become a familiar injury for Michigan State fans. The um, the foot injury, uh, stress related. Uh, it's going to have him out um, until Christmas. They say you know six to eight weeks. I think that time of the year is a time where you can be patient with some guys. So I think that's kind of why they're saying Christmas. I'm sure the hope is to have him back and doing what he can do um, by the time you resume Big Ten play. So, um, I mean, that hurts, but I this is why they got more depth this year. They got more players, and um, uh, honestly, he that was kind of the one spot I thought they were three deep um, is at center. Um, uh, assuming, you know, Xavier Booker is going to play four, you've still got Mati Sissoko Car- and Carson Cooper there. So, um, Kohler probably would have helped them, but I think they're good. Um, and yeah, I got a chance to watch them at the scrimmage on Saturday before the football game. And, um, I can't say anything surprised me. A lot of what I saw confirmed what we've heard talking to players and coaches and others, um, throughout the preseason, the, you know, the starting five is the starting five that what we thought, um, among the freshmen, Jeremy fears is, is definitely the most game ready. Like he looks like a guy who's already played in the big 10. Um, he looks like a guy who, who could start if he wasn't, um, if he wasn't, didn't happen to be behind two returning starters, um, ran the second unit very well as a point guard. They started out, they went ones versus twos before they switched it up. Um, and he ran the twos well, like he made a lot of really good passes. He ran the, he was, he had them moving, running the fast break. Well, I thought made, pretty few mistakes for a freshman point guard um, and, and just look confident um, and like, like he knew what he was doing out there. Um, I know people have raved about him, but really getting the chance to see him run a unit for the first time kind of confirmed everything that we've heard. Um, and, and beyond him, um, you know, most of the guys are what we've talked about. Xavier Booker um, is long, very athletic, has potential, not super physical, um, you know, wasn't really posting up, trying to get buckets there. I, I saw him pass out of the post against uh, A.J. Hogarth at one point, uh, which I winced a little bit at. Cohen Carr can jump out of the gym um, if he gets the ball um, by himself in transition, uh, cover your head. But um, beyond that, took a couple couple shots that uh, did not look very good, and, and he's going to need some work to do there. But he'll, he'll rebound the ball, he'll defend, and that's going to get him minutes. I don't see him scoring a lot, but I do see him playing a role. I mean, that, I mean that's about it. And the returners, I mean, you know what they've got. You know, Tyson Walker hit a bunch of threes. I thought A.J. Hogard shot a little bit better, obviously in a small sample, but he's thinner, moved better. Um, I didn't see a whole lot out of Malik Hall and, and time is kind of called him out yesterday when he talked to us, um, kind of that passive, let the game come to me, you know, don't really notice him type of Malik Hall. So uh, he's kind of one of my breakout guys. I want to see more from him, but we'll talk more next week, but I guess that's my two minutes of initial uh, thoughts on it. AJ Hogarth, apparently not one of the top 25 point guards in the country, according to the Bob Cousy Award. So uh, make sure he knows that, Kyle. Make sure he knows yeah, that. It's a, good, it's a good thing watch lists mean absolutely nothing. <laughs> That's true. But yeah, we'll get into all these guys, player by player, break down the schedule, look at the Big Ten, talk some big picture stuff, big storylines, all that next week. That's going to do it for today's episode of MLS Spartan Confidential Podcast, a little bit longer, extended uh, edition. Michigan State football does have a game this weekend at Minnesota, 3.30 on the Big Ten Network. We'll see if they can snap uh, the lengthy losing streak. That is now extended multiple months, but uh, that's going to do it. So for Kyle Austin and Matt Wenzel, I'm Brandon Champion. Thank you once again for listening to M Live Spartan Confidential Podcast. We'll talk to you next time, and go green.